This morning we want to uh, speak on a very uh, truthful subject. Uh, it seems to be troubling a lot, and it has for a, a number of years, many, many years. Uh, the truth and, and the difference, and we need to know it too as believers, the difference between Israel, the nation of Israel, the Jews, and who we are as a church. Because if we don't make that distinction and don't understand our position in Christ as heavenly people versus the Jews who are God's earthly people to have a millennial kingdom, ultimately, then all kinds of confusion comes out. One of the big ones, and we'll, we will get into it, uh, this morning we're going to talk about Lordship salvation, and we're going to explain where Lordship salvation comes from. It comes from covenant theology, which has to do with the old testimony, the prophecies and truth that God spoke through his prophets to the nation of Israel and to them alone had nothing to do with the church. When I don't have a dispensational, distinctive difference between the two, then there's all kinds of confusion. Now, what we want as believers in Christ, what we want is to have Christ himself before us. That's what we want. That's what we need. And not only... We just want him specifically. And not only that which belongs to us that we have in, the, in these personal privileges that we have. We have, in, us, us in Christ, we have such truth. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is our position in Christ as, God, as those that are not only heavenly people, but church people is very much higher than any other people group, including the nation of Israel, even those that they may be heavenly, but they are not a church. They're not part of the church. And not to make that distinction is where all this confusion comes from. You'll mix kingdom teaching. When we understand, and to understand the Bible and its basics is very, very, very critical to our growth as members of the body of Christ, those that are in Christ in their heavenly position. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke teach kingdom truth. Jesus was teaching kingdom truth to his disciples and to the Jews. That's who he was teaching him. Matthew 15 and verse 24 makes it crystal clear. Ephesians, uh, Matthew 6, verse 10. That what is referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which it's clearly the disciples' prayer. He taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, listen, on earth as it is in heaven. We already have that in Christ. We're heavenly people in Christ. In Christ. They have yet to have it. But it's all kingdom teaching. Not that we, don't, we can't glean from it, but we're going to see the difference. We'll see the difference this morning and how critical it is. How very, very critical. And, and, and to have proper, precise teaching on this and on these issues is extremely, extremely essential and very, very important. It is. And so 
What do we see? We see even, for instance, again, and when we see like the book of Acts, you know how it's called the Acts of the Apostle? Well, it was the action of Jesus Christ in those that were his all through the book of Acts. So that's truthfully, really, it's the Acts of Christ. Because <laughs> what kind of action would there be in any, any believer outside of what Christ has accomplished in them? So even in that, you see, very, you see some, you do see preaching the kingdom because he's trying to teach these Jews about who they are in Christ. That's why you have the book of Hebrews. When you have the book of Hebrews, that was written without any question about it. There's no question about who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. It was the Apostle Paul. Because if anyone was a Pharisee, in terms of kingdom teaching and against Christ, and educated in that way, it was, it was uh, Saul, before he became Paul, meeting Christ on the road in Acts the ninth chapter in verses 1 through 6, until he met him on that road to Damascus and received him as his Savior, as clearly it's brought out. He instantly received him. But what we see, what we see in the, the epistles, and they're called like the epistles of Paul, right? We have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They're called the prison epistles. They're called the epistles of Paul. Really, they're a heavenly truth that Christ gave to Paul, who is our apostle, to give to us. And so to understand that is very, very critical and to know the difference because the epistles are addressing the church and we have our own particular portion and place brought out. When I don't know the difference, then I will take kingdom teaching, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, bring it over into the epistles, us as a church, and then I'll mix the kingdom now, which isn't. Does Christ have a kingdom on the earth right now? He doesn't. Will he in the future? Scores of prophetic teaching, which we won't get into this morning. Hasn't happened yet. But we have the kingdom within us as heavenly people right now. We already have it. We have that and it's brought out. But the, to, to make the church to have the things that were spoken to Israel brings out all kinds of confusion and then we neglect personal intimacy with Christ. We completely neglect it. That's why it's critical to be properly taught. And so we need to have that distinction. There is an absolute distinction between Israel the nation of Israel, his earthly people, and the church which we are, his heavenly people. Very clear in the scriptures. We, we had that, and it was brought out last night in the time that we had in, in, in Cheshire last night. Brought out very, very clearly. And there's a distinction, and we need to understand that. We need to understand it because it's very critical. We, it's very, very critical. So, even in this, and this is sometimes, it's called the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew 5, in Matthew 6. You've, you've heard that, right? Pr let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive others. Is that the Christian's prayer? 
Is that our prayer in Christ? No. That was the prayer that was, is the kingdom prayer, which hasn't happened yet. And if I don't understand that, and first of all, if I don't understand prophecy, I am in really deep trouble. That's why it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, you, us, us, the church, have a, what, more sure word of prophecy. And if that light of Christ who, who is in us hasn't dawned yet through teaching, we live in all this other confusion. It was a beautiful, beautiful time last night. And then towards the end, not, not very long, but towards the end, there was a lot of confusion. Let me ask you, is God the author of confusion? In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33, is he? No. He's the author of what? Life and peace. Is that who we are in Christ? Is Christ my life in Colossians 3 verse 4? Is he my peace already in Ephesians 2, 14? Do you know how many Christians are trying to get peace already in Christ who is their peace? Because they confuse all of this. They get bad teaching, teaching mixed Judaism with Christianity. We said last night, how many think they have a Judeo-Christian heritage? Do we? Are they one and the same? And they are completely, diametrically opposed. One is earthly, the other is heavenly. Do you remember the word that God gave Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 8 through 11? His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts towards us. That was, that's us in Christ above any other people. It's a place. Does he love us more? No, but we have a greater intimacy. Much greater intimacy than any other people group. We just do. And so when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, okay, okay, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, let me read this to you. This is Matthew, the fifth chapter, and starting at verse one, and it says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and this is, listen to what it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice that. When it says that, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Was it then? Were they experiencing it then? No. No. Remember, this is Matthew 6, verse 10. He said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Is God's will on this earth in terms of his government being done right now? Absolutely not. That's why we are the church, the ecclesia, ek, ek, out, ecclesia, assembled ones. He's not making the world a better place right now. That won't happen till the, till the millennial reign. It's not going to happen till then. Right now, he's taking us out of the world. In John 17, verse 14, the true Lord's Prayer, his true prayer in those 26 verses in John the 17th chapter, it makes it very, very clear that Jesus was not of that world when he walked there, when he was teaching kingdom truth. He wasn't of that world system right then. And John 17 and verse 14, and neither are we. In 17 and verse 16, we're one with him, 
that he's accomplished through the cross, and it didn't happen till then. We're one with him in John 17, 11, 21, and 22. But remember what he said, your kingdom come. In Matthew 6, 10, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That hasn't happened yet. So back, back to here, to the fifth chapter of Matthew, again, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, and that's really, we'll see what that means. This means humble. In spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are all they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are, do we inherit the earth, or do, do the Jews in millennial reign? They do, but we rule and reign over them in Christ. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of, of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this goes into here. This is going into right here. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Was that being preached to the church that we are right now in Christ? Answer, no. It's for us to understand it, but it wasn't being preached to us. Can you imagine preaching that now? And the confusion that will result. And I'll show you why. Here it is. The Sermon on the Mount has nothing to do with the heavenly grace church that we are. That's why we preach and teach here, according to the word of God, that we do not go to church, we are the church. And that's what Jesus was saying in the future. He said in the future, in Matthew 16 and verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He said that to Peter. Peter... You're the little stone, and I'm the massive foundation for the church, this massive ledge. And upon this rock, not you, Peter, that's taught. Not you, Peter, that's taught. But upon Christ himself, you will be built as a foundation. That's what Paul was speaking on that God, Christ gave him in 1 Corinthians 3.10 and 11. And we need to be careful how we build on that foundation. And if it's not Christ and what he's accomplished at this particular dispensation, this dispensation of grace, the church age, and I take out kingdom teaching and put it on there, put works and add works to grace, there's all kinds of confusion and fleshly carnal comparisons. That, this what we read this morning, has to do with the kingdom of Israel. There is nothing Make it clear. There is nothing in the Sermon on the Mount that is not superseded by what we have in the epistles that we have in Christ that God gave to the Apostle Paul for us as church. Not a single thing. The Sermon on the Mount is characterized, among other things, listen, by the absence of those elements, those things that make up and are distinct Distinctly Christian. That's why we do not have a Judeo-Christian heritage. 
Who did God, we said it last night, who did God give the law to? The Jews in Exodus 19 and verse 8 and 24 and verse 3, in the pride of their own self-righteousness in Isaiah 64 verse 6, said, tell us what to do and we'll do it. Let me ask everybody here, can we do anything apart from Christ in John 15, 1 through 5? We can't do a single thing. Is he relying on us to do a single thing? I love what a man of God said when he was responding to the word before all the confusion came in. He said, oh, I see. We're not doing, we're receiving. I said, yes. We're receiving what's already done. Has the kingdom been done yet on the earth? No. No. The Sermon on the Mount, again, and I repeat, is characterized, among other things, by the absence of that substance that is distinctly Christian. What is it? On the Sermon on the Mount, and you read it and I read it. Read Matthew 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Read those and tell me if you see redemption by the blood of Christ. Do you see it? Is it there? Is it taught? Where is that taught? It's in the Pauline epistles for us, the church. Is redemption by the blood of Christ taught? No. Is faith, absolute dependence on Christ, is that taught here? No. Do you see it anywhere? No. Deliverance, regeneration, do you see that? No, you don't see that till Titus 3.5. Truths about who we are in Christ. It's so necessary to understand and know these things. And just stop feeding on little devotionals and get substance and truth. And, and so that we all grow up in Christ in Ephesians 4 and verse 15 and become joints that now supply because we have that to give in 4.16 of Ephesians. Do we see deliverance from judgment here? No. No. Do you see the person and work of the Holy Spirit? God? Do you hear anything about the Holy Spirit there at all? No, because it wasn't given till Acts, the second chapter, which would form the church as a result of the promise that Christ gave and was telling those disciples then that would still be alive after Christ was crucified, he would go up and send down the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16, and 17, and so on. That's what he was explaining to them. Do we see the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Listen, the absence of these vital truths, this substance, cannot but awaken and arrest in us and awake us to be jealous for the faith that was once delivered for the saints. I'll tell you what was going honestly, what was going on last night. And to think that there's not going to be confrontation. We're in a conflict, folks. We just are. We're in a conflict. What, what, what was going on? This is what's going on. This is Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified, already set apart, listen, by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. Beautiful truth. And called mercy unto you. Did you hear that? In kingdom, you have to obtain it. We already have it. Mercy unto you and peace and love. What now? Be multiplied in your growth. Be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, all those truths that make up who we are in Christ, 
that shield in Ephesians 6.16 where we quench all those lying, fiery missiles. And we're going to go, we're going to, this is going to be a continued series. This is the truth. The common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith, which was once delivered unto the saints. Why? For there are certain men crept in unawares, things that crept, creep into them in their ignorance, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't think, I don't think in any way the things that we heard last night, even though they weren't correct, that those people, those men, they were born again, absolutely were born again. But they were lowering Christ in their ignorance. In their ignorance. And any of us can function in that. And in that sense, none of us know anything like we do know. But let's get back in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3. Let's get back. There's, a nine, there's nine Beatitudes that we just read in Matthew, the fifth chapter. The nine Beatitudes is the kingdom message, and it opens with a ninefold blessing which is pr promised and provided for the faithful child of the kingdom. That's Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Are we children of the kingdom? Or are we children of God through Christ? In Galatians 4, 6, and 7, in Romans 8, and verse 15. We are children of God. We're going to see this. Now watch. Let's go over it. All those blessings in 5, 1 through 12 of Matthew are won through personal merit. Kingdom. Are we saved by grace in Ephesians 2, 8 without any merit at all on our part? We're saved by grace through faith. Dependence, and even that, not of ourselves. It's God that causes us to be dependent to receive the grace that saves us. And we're his workmanship. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. Let's look at it. First blessing. Blessed are the poor, again, the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. To the Christian, as opposed to this, it is said, put on, therefore, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, Colossians 3.12. Put it on. It's already ours to put on. In the teaching of grace, put on does not mean to pretend or assume. Listen to this. It is the manifestation of the regenerate life through the power of the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 4, 24, and Ephesians 6, verse 11. The second, second fruitful blessing for the kingdom. Blessed are all they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning does not belong to the bride of Christ. That's who we are. It doesn't belong. There may be godly sorrow, yes. Mourning? None. There's no mourning for the bride of Christ. Why? Because here's for us. Philippians 4.4. 4. As opposed to mourning, rejoice. Listen. In the Lord always. We're in the Lord. We're to rejoice. And again I say what? Rejoice. 
Number three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Under grace, meekness is brought about and given and wrought in the Christian by the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5 and verse 23. And it is never rewarded. It is a gift of grace given to the believer who is in Christ. Very simply put, while the meek in the kingdom will inherit the earth, the believer has, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 4, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away and is reserved in heaven for us. Big difference. Do we see the difference? Do you see where the confusion comes from? And who's the author of it? Who's the author of all confusion? And what is confusion? It's a lie. And a lie mixes lies with truth. Who's the author of it? It's the God of this world. That's who it is. And we're going to see that in future, future messages that God has for us. It's the God of this world. And, and if our gospel be hidden, boy, it might, it will, my heart was broken for people last, the Christians. Because if our gospel is, is hid and it's hidden, with, king, with lordship, salvation, and covenant theology. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded, hardened, we saw it, hardened the minds of them which believe not the truth that's even theirs. Because the light of the glory of Christ and what he's accomplished hasn't shined in on them through proper preaching and teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. It's very crystal clear. In no way is any believer an enemy. In any way would God present truth to a believer who's truly born again, but doesn't have teaching and preaching, but still are they in, in correction? Is God or preaching and teaching to be their enemy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we do need correction. We do need it. The fourth one, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Yes, but aren't we already filled in Colossians 2.10? When you read Colossians 2.9, eh, where it says in the King James, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and then in 2.10 it says you're complete in him. You know what the Greek says? The whole time that Christ walked the face of the earth, he was filled up of all of who God is. Father, Son, Himself, and Holy Spirit in Him, one. And did you know right now, this church age, this dispensation of grace, it says in 2.10 of Colossians, and you, listen, are filled up in Him right now. You're not waiting to be filled. The kingdom truth is, and if you do enough good things, and do enough merit, and do enough works, maybe God will think highly of you and accept you when we're already in Ephesians 1.6, accepted in the beloved. It's very critical to have the right teaching. You need to be more than a nice guy. And the question is not that we love others. It's what they're teaching, and do they even teach, and do they even know what they teach, and do they miss it? Do they miss it? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. The Christian may have, de may have a desire, and we should have a desire to walk with the Father, and that means to have intimacy in an experiential reality of a proper image. Yes, 
They may have that. But the believer in Christ is already made the righteousness of God in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. It's already made that. And don't think that the enemy is, we are in spiritual warfare. Listen, honestly, we are. It's not some pretend thing and you close the Bible and go about your life. These things, men's minds, Christians' minds are being contended for by the atmosphere, by the enemy in an invisible host. It's a real thing. It's a true and real thing. Invisible army, but just as real as anything else. And so the fact of the matter is, these things need to be taught. Let's look at the, the sixth of the mindful blessing on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Opposed to this, and under grace, what is written? God, listen, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, listen, has shined, has already shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We just quoted that previously in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Seventh one, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And during the kingdom age, if they're not walking in peace, are they called the children of God? No. Again, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In the kingdom, millennial reign, which is still future, something that will happen after the second advent, Christ coming to the earth, the first advent, he was born in the womb of a 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke 1, verse 35. Born there, born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth in John 1, verse 46. That's his first advent. He walked 30 years in total silence and then had a public ministry for three and a half years and was cut off literally at 33 and a half years of age, cut off in his prime, the prime of manhood. Then God is forming the church. We need to know the difference. John 1, 10. Jesus came into the world, the whole world, and the world didn't know him any different than any other human being. Why? Who was ruling the world at that particular time? Was it God? Or was it through usurpation, the enemy, Satan? Then John 1.11, it says, He came unto his own, the nation of Israel, and his own rejected him. Then it says, but, and that's the parenthesis that we're in right now, in John 1.12. But, as many as would receive him, as I say, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, to them that which would believe on his name. The work that he accomplished in his person and finished. That's the great parenthesis where we are right now, folks. And not to understand that in the scriptures is to add all kinds of confusion. The parenthesis is between the two advents. Once we're raptured in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, then that closes and he begins to deal with Israel and their enemies. That's the second. And then just, and, and he's dealing with them. And then the second advent, we see him coming and we come back with him. And Revelations, the 19th chapter, you know, specifically in 11 through 16, we come back with him on white horses and we watch him speak the word. 
and how he deals with, with in judgment. Is there any judgment for us right now? Will there be judgment on the earth that's going to come? Yes. Is there any for us right now? Has Christ taken all of our judgment? Dealt with everything? Yes. Has he yet with the nation of Israel? To this day, they're at the wailing wall, waiting, still waiting for Messiah to come, who they missed. Then, in Revelations 1, 7, it says, every eye, every eye will see him. And then it says, and they which also pierced him. That was the Jews, the religious crowd. They gave him over to the Roman government to pierce him, to, to murder him on the cross. Every eye will see him. And to them that also pierced him, there'll be, wa- there'll be wailing. There will be that. But under grace, where it says... Again, the seventh fold fruit of the kingdom age. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. There's a distinction, a special distinction to them that promote peace. They will be called the children of God in promoting peace. If they don't during that kingdom age, are they the children of God? No. Under grace, which we're under, not under law, Under grace, no one is constituted a child of God by any works whatsoever. Read Romans, the fourth chapter, in those first ten verses. Read Romans, the fifth chapter, in those first ten verses. Read Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. No works whatsoever. For you, us in Christ, are already all children of God by absolute faith dependence in Jesus Christ Galatians 3, verse 26. Do you know how many don't even know? We have the privilege, by pure grace, these foundational truths. How are you going to build an edification, an edifying structure in your own heart if you don't have a proper foundation? The eighth one. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the millennial kingdom of heaven. Millennial, verse 10 of Matthew 6. Matthew 5, I should say. The issue here, again, is righteousness. Right? They're persecuted for what? Righteousness during the kingdom age. The Christian under grace, on the contrary, suffers with Christ for his sake, not for righteousness' sake, because we already have him as our righteousness in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, and we're rewarded in heaven. Read 2 Timothy 2, 12. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but we suffer for Christ's sake, not for righteousness' sake. See the difference? It's huge. It's not small. These things are not small. They suffer with Christ for his sake. You see that again. Paul was filling up now in his life. In Colossians 1.24, all the sufferings of Christ, where he was the church's worst enemy and caused intense suffering against Christ. You see that in Acts the 8th chapter. Read in Acts the 8th chapter. And the 9th chapter. The ninth one. The last one. Blessed are you, when men will revile you and persecute you, persecute you, for so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. In 5, 11, and 12 of Matthew. Under grace, the believer is called to suffer for Christ's sake. Philippians 1, verse 29. It's huge. 
That's why Paul would write to us, the church, in Romans 8, 18. For I reckon, legizomai, I count it all up, a, a, a accountant term, a, accountant's term, I count it all up, count it all up. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us. 2 Timothy 2, 12, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Will he deny that we're his own? No, we just won't have that intimacy or fellowship. We need to understand these things precisely. We can see it again. So the ninefold fruit, as we wrap this up this morning, the ninefold fruit, what do we see? A careful comparison, which should be made of that ninefold fruit that ninefold blessing, which is promised under kingdom teaching. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. It's a kingdom gospel. That's why Jesus even said in Matthew 16, verse 18, and upon this rock I will future build my church. Future. We're living in it. What an opportunity. What a place, what an identity, what an image we have. We have it. But what happens if we don't know what we have? Oh, what bondage and works and legalism and pride and hardened. What makes it my business to be occupied with others and how they live and how they don't live? And that should irritate me instead of being overwhelmed with occupation with Christ. It will be seen that all that is demanded under the law of the kingdom as a condition of blessing is under grace already completely and thoroughly divinely provided. The two aspects of life which are represented by these two groups of characterizing words in which they are most significant. The total of all the blessings in the kingdom age is not even comparable with the superabundant fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, and temperance? Do you even see that there? You don't see it. You do see it in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But to understand 22 and 23, you have to, see, you have to go back to, to uh, Galatians 5, verse 1. Then go back to the fourth chapter of Galatians, back to the third chapter of Galatians, back to the second chapter of Galatians in the first chapter, and understand the truth about who we are and what we have in the highest position of heavenly people, which is revealed in the book of Ephesians. We're going to close. The very tense of the verb that's used here is very important. Listen. Under grace, the fruit of the Spirit is, which indicates the present possession of the blessing through pure grace. We already have it. It's brought out clearly. Whereas under the kingdom, the blessing will be to those by the merit of their works. Huge difference. There's a massive and massive and huge difference and that's why, again, Jesus' warning was this. Beware of false prophets. Can I be sincere and be deceived at the same time as a Christian? Can I be? 
How about the parable of the seeds in Luke the 8th chapter, Matthew the 13th chapter? Is that just for a, a group of, of believers, uh, um, people that the first three aren't saved and the other one is? You mean a Christian can't fall into that? The word can't fall on a stony heart of a Christian and they miss it? That's just for the unsaved? That's how I should understand that? I will if that's my limit. And I don't know who I am in Christ. And I can only go as far in my own walk, and in that, I can only go as far as lead them. There's got to be specific, precise order. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That means that I may be so deceived, and the enemy deceives in Revelation 12, 9. And when he deceives, he accuses others of truth that they have in Christ that they miss that's just as much theirs. They do. They're ravening wolves. Can I be one and be very ignorant yet do that? Was Paul, Saul, before that, ignorantly persecuting the church and thinking he was doing God's service in John 16 and verse 2? Absolutely. Absolutely. You, it says, will know them by their fruits. And you wouldn't believe how that starts, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 to 20, that you have to do something. Did Christ finish the work? In John 19.30. There's no question about it. The warning here is against false prophets who are to be discerned by the quality of their lives. Are they even happy? Is there any true joy? But the warning to the children of God under grace is against false teachers who are to be discerned by their teaching, their doctrine concerning Christ. Not the kingdom. Christ in 2 Peter 2, 1, and 2 John chapter, uh, uh, verses 7 through 11. And it's crystal clear in the scriptures. We're just scratching this this morning. But we are going to be getting into these truths so that we can know about who we are in Christ and keep out what doesn't belong there. No wonder Jesus said in Mark 4, verse 24, be careful what you hear. In Luke 8, 18, be careful how you hear. And in John 1, uh, in, in James 1, verse 19, be more ready to hear, to hear and to come. So, Father, thank you for this truth that we have. Thank you that our occupation is Christ. It's not works, but it's pure grace and a continual receiving. We just thank you and praise you for that reality. We thank you. We, can't, we just are so thankful. We have so much to be thankful for. And we will be getting into this in, in absolute detail, in, in starting this week and all throughout. And Father, I just pray for all those that heard the word last night in the beauty and simplicity of which it was presented, that you would not have any ill effects to come against them and to hurt them. I pray specifically for every single person there. And I do believe with my whole heart that every person that was there was born again and part of the church, whether they functioned right in it or not, but that you have and that we have nothing but love for them. So, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.